This is Hemant. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. Please give us all your good ratings and go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast and support the show. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm doing okay. Just back in uh, Chicago for a week. Welcome then, back from Houston. Thank you. And then going back to Houston. Look at Couldn't you. get enough of that good town. <laughs> but you're speaking next time. Next time I'm speaking. So if you're in right. Houston and want to see me. Humanists of Houston or Houston Oasis, I shall be at both places. Excellent. We'll have more info on that. Yes. Uh, online. How are somewhere. you, Hammond? I'm good. I heard you went to a water park. Yes, with the family. Yay. Sisters in town. It was good. So familial. Yes. All right, let's hit it. All right. I there's there's a lot of things we want to get to this week, but this is the one that put a smile on my face, and I know it's not probably okay, going to work out well. I've never seen Hammond smile. I know it doesn't I happen often. That it happens. <laughs> this will. I don't know that this will work out well in the long run, but I think it's an interesting case. So here's the backstory to this. In 2015, I heard that the Freedom From Religion Foundation was going to set up a charity, Mm -hmm. like a separate charity from their own organization, specifically uh, to assist with things like disaster relief after a hurricane. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be able to send a blast, email blast to their members and saying, look, Hurricane Florence just happened. If you want to give to good secular causes helping with recovery efforts, not Mm -hmm. religious ones... Um, you can give through us. Okay. And it's kind of nice to be able to say, look, atheists raised $100,000 in the span of uh, 24 hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, I worked with Foundation Beyond Belief at the time. It's like, hmm, another one doing some of the stuff that we do. That's a little strange, Uh but whatever. It's a charity. That's not a bad thing. So I didn't think anything of it. In the past few years, since they started up a shop, they have raised close to $600,000. This is non-belief relief the FFRF group, mm-hmm. um, they've raised close to $600,000. It's assisted with disaster recovery. It's helped atheists who are in countries where they're being persecuted cool. for being open about their atheism. They've helped, they've given the money to help them get out of there and find asylum elsewhere. Mm-hmm. They've also assisted with, with a number of other matters, but like almost $600,000. They've also given to like Doctors Without Borders. So awesome, yeah. awesome group, awesome organization, very cool. Now, here's what's interesting about this that I didn't know because I didn't even think to look for it. They have not been filing their 990 form with the IRS. And the 990 is the form every nonprofit you could think of has to file that says, you know, if you want to be a a tax-exempt nonprofit, you got to tell the IRS, here's how much money we took in. Here is how we spent it. Here are the salaries that we gave to our staffers. Uh Um, our director, et cetera. It's also a way for groups like Charity Navigator, like the nonprofit watchdog groups, to make sure you're like using your donor's money well. Sure. So they can give you a good grade because they see your 990 and they mm-hmm. make it available to everybody. And they could say, they look... didn't do one? So they didn't do it. And they never did it. And apparently this was on purpose. And so recently, I think back in August, the IRS sends FFRF, a letter that says, hey, you haven't submitted these forms. We're taking away your tax exemption, which has the effect of telling donors, if you give money to us, you can't write it off right. on your taxes, which means they're not going to get as many donations. It's going to hurt them. Uh-huh. So the IRS says, okay, we gave you a warning or something, but you didn't file it. You haven't filed it. So we're taking it away from you. And this is apparently what FFRF was waiting for. Oh, my God. Because this Some week... Ocean's Eleven shit, isn't it? It's, they seriously. meant to get caught. They meant to get caught. I, I, you might 
you might joke about that, but that's not a joke. It's they literally really, what happened. That's what they wanted to see if it would happen, and it happened. And this week they filed um, a lawsuit against the IRS. And basically what they're saying is, you're punishing us for not filing a 990, but churches are nonprofits who also don't file 990s, and you don't revoke their tax exemptions at all. Huh. You are punishing us, even though we do charity work, which is ostensibly what these churches do, right. and they provide service and help to people in theory, but it's not like the IRS is checking to see how much service you do versus how much volunteering and charity huh. work you do. They're saying, look, we provide a lot of the same services as all nonprofits do, but you're singling us out as not doing what we are supposed to do. So they basically want one of two things to happen. Um, just they want to be on a level playing field. Yeah. So maybe that means everyone who's not filing a 990, who's a nonprofit, deserves to have their tax exemption revoked, which would hit churches harder than anybody. Yeah. Or they, you let... I you. Stop making nonprofits file their 990s. Interesting. That's what FFR is saying. They don't have a preference, but they're saying treat us equally. So basically, according to the actual uh, uh, people at FFRF, they said, we knew there would be consequences, uh, most likely. We're just doing the same thing that churches do and church-related groups, and they do not lose their tax exemption for not filing. So why should we? That is wild. I know, it is wild. And apparently, it's so sneaky, I love it. And there's a reason I was like, well, how come FFRF, you might wonder, <laughs> uh, why didn't FFRF not submit their own 990s? Because they're a nonprofit group, right. and they have to fill out those same forms as the ACLU, as Planned Parenthood, as the NRA. Every nonprofit does this. And FFRF basically said, we didn't want to jeopardize our own organization by not filing 990s, because oh. we have employees, we have sure, a, a lot on, on the them. line. Yeah, a lot of people depend on us. So it seems like they created the nonprofit charity wing. This is the sneakiest shit I have Dude, ever I'm heard. You, this is so cool. They created that in order to set up themselves for this lawsuit. Corporate this is how, it, by the way, they did not say we set this up specifically for the IRS, but it sure seems like it to me. They set it up so that they could do this get caught and file this lawsuit. And by the way, all that gets hurt is their little sidearm. Uh -huh. But by the way, along the way, they raised $600,000 for charity <laughs> through it, which otherwise would not have been collected probably unless people went through another group or something. I'm so into this. Dude, it's, um, it's sneaky as hell. I love it. And so um, basically, again, I, FFRF doesn't have a preference as to what the IRS does, but they're calling for sure. equal treatment. And here's the thing. Uh, if you followed any of the news about the IRS, they don't have staffers that they need to pursue a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. People are mad at the IRS because they're not auditing people as they should. They're not doing the work the IRS is supposed to right. do. And if you think of the IRS as a legit good group of people who's just trying to collect taxes that everyone has to pay, you want them to do their job. And FFRF is arguing you're not doing your job. That is wild. And by the way, FFRF has battled with the IRS before because remember they had the thing where pastors aren't allowed to endorse candidates from the pulpit, the sure, Johnson, Johnson Amendment. Amendment. And churches have purposely violated that. The pastors go up and say, you all need to vote for this Republican. And they like send the videos to the IRS because this is a battle churches want because they say, hey, we're a nonprofit and we should get to do what we want. And the FFRF says, no, you're a church and you're getting away with this because you're a church 
but it's not like any other nonprofit gets to endorse candidates. Like, no nonprofit says you got to vote for a candidate. They can steer you in that direction. They could say, this candidate opposes abortion rights and we support it. Right. But they can't say vote for this person. It's a fine line, but it's there. Some some groups release scorecards, mm-hmm. like, on their issues. And, hey, look, every Democrat gets an F and right. every Republican gets an A. But what a weird coincidence. Ostensibly, they can't say vote for the candidate. But, again, this is another example, FFRF says, of a church of churches or religious institutions getting a benefit that secular groups don't. And at least in that situation, the IRS settled with FFRF. No money really Really? was exchanged. And they said, look, we promise we will enforce the law. And if we're not, you can, you can file this lawsuit against us again. But for now, let's just, the IRS said, look, we understand your concern. We will take care of this in the future. And then they didn't. But the law... They haven't. Oh, my God. And so it's just an, another example of, of the IRS not doing what they're supposed to do. Uh-huh. And religious institutions are the beneficiaries right. of their inability to police what's going on. And by the way, if the IRS ends up forcing everybody to file 990s, if you're a nonprofit, including churches... Uh-huh. That Christians are going to cry persecution sure. because now we get to see how much money they all take in. You would get to see how much megachurch pastors get paid, which is how? something they've hidden for a long time because they're allowed to get away to with get it. Those numbers. Oh, it'd be fascinating to see. And by the way, their own congregations don't always know how much the pastor gets paid. Do you think if we found so maybe not a Joel Osteen because he's sort of in a class yeah. unto himself, but like one of your minor um, megachurch pastors, do you think if people found out found out they were making, say, seven figures yeah. plus, do you think that would have a negative impact on how their congregation sees them? Sure, because, but I mean, there's... They see that they're in, like, private jets. They know they're living a lush lifestyle, right? Yes, and the question is, how? what would happen if you found out your pastor was getting an exorbitant amount of money, something that I'm sure these churches would argue... It's like a CEO. You have to pay money to get the best talent, and the best talent sure. gets people in seats. But it's like if you're giving all the money to the pastor, but you're giving relatively little to charity, right. maybe this isn't the right church for you. That's yeah. something I think churches have purposely hidden in some cases from their own congregations. And so, again, filing these 990s, churches get to break the rules. They get to get away with special perks mm-hmm. that secular nonprofits um, and by secular, I don't mean atheist. I just mean not religious-related right. nonprofits. They don't get to do. So it's an interesting lawsuit. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this. Uh, it's not like the government's on the side of church-state separation. It's not like the courts are currently on the side of church-state separation. So I don't know how this I, ends up. I think it would be an interesting way to level, or kind of kind of force their hand in saying, in these five ways, this is what differentiates a, a traditional nonprofit profit group from a religious entity. I think it'd mm-hmm. be a very interesting way to, because once they delineate that, that sort of leaves them open to be like, well, we meet once a week or we do. Right. John Oliver did it on his yeah. show, right? We created a church just like that. Yeah. Or FFRF could say, look, if you're saying that it's about doing charity work, well, guess what? We do charity right. work. Is it about helping people? Because we do that too. Right. What is the thing that separates it? And FFRF seems to it appears to be claiming like if you believe in God right. and do it because of God, we'll give you these perks. Right. And that's not legal. Right. Is FFRF's argument? So 
again, it just got filed. I'll be in, it'll be interesting to see how that yeah, plays out. Yeah, super interesting. Um, while we are talking about that issue, let's talk about the Supreme Court briefly, only to say now that Kavanaugh is on the court, now we could start talking about what's going to happen now that he's on the court. Mm-hmm. And right now, there are a number of church-state separation cases that the Supreme Court has not decided on what to do, but they're going to have to. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, I think the, the last day in this term for telling people what they're going to do is Tuesday, um, or at least for a little while. So Tuesday, we may find out whether they choose to treat these cases like they do the majority of cases and just say, we're not listening to this uh-huh. one, or they may take it up. But I just want to point out a couple of them that I think are really important. Uh, Two of them involve giant Christian crosses on government property. We've talked about these before. One of them's in Pensacola, Florida. Mm -hmm. The other is in Prince George's County, Maryland. Giant Christian crosses. In the Pensacola case, the Court of Appeals there, the 11th Circuit, said unanimously, this cross needs to come down. You say it's a war memorial, but everyone knows it's a giant Christian symbol. Right. And these judges in the Pensacola case even said, like, look, I know it's unanimous. We know we say this cross has to come down or it has to go to private property, but the government can't have this cross. Mm -hmm. But they kind of said, look, we really hope the Supreme Court takes up this case because we don't like this decision, but we're obligated to do it because that's what the precedent says. What a burden that the law has on them. (laughs) I mean, they were very clear. One of them was a Trump-appointed judge. Another of the three judges was a Republican judge. Mm -hmm. And they were very clear. They're like, we don't like the rule, but we got to play by the rules. But hey, Brett Kavanaugh or the new Supreme Court, you should take this up. So that's one of them. The Maryland case, uh, this is one where they've gone through every legal channel you can imagine. Um... And uh, 109 members of Congress have appealed to the Supreme Court. All Republicans, I think, except for Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat senator who also voted for Kavanaugh. Um, All of them asked the Supreme Court, take this up and overturn the rule because uh, they ruled two to one that it was unconstitutional in Mm -hmm. the circuit level. Supreme Court could look at both of those cases separately or combine them or whatever. But if they take it up, and you only need four justices to say we want to look at this, Mm -hmm. and they now have five conservatives on the court, they could say, look, if it's a war memorial, and it just happens to be in the shape of a cross, or it's been up there forever and no one complained about it till now, so it's tradition, they could say, "Eh, it's not a big deal. These things should be legal. And even if it looks like a cross, they really didn't do it to promote Christianity they just happen to share a symbol. Like, it's this weird, convoluted argument. I can't believe it. But if you see that, you could start seeing a lot more war memorials on government property that just happen to be in the shape of a cross, (sighs) or anything, a memorial to somebody in the shape of a cross on government property. That's one thing that could happen. You could start seeing a lot of crosses that currently exist not being able to be challenged because it's tradition. So that's, that's a big deal if this happens. By the way... The American Humanist Association's uh, attorney, Monica Miller, who we've talked about on the show before, she's fantastic. Her argument to the Supreme Court in the brief they were working on said, you shouldn't take up any of these cases because every time an appeals court has looked at crosses on government property, it's happened at least four times, they've always said it's unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's no controversy here. Every judge right. seems to say this is wrong. Right. We don't need the Supreme Court to settle this because there's nothing to settle. Mm-hmm. That's their argument. That is a legit argument to make mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell the Supreme Court not to look at something. 
But again, it's a different court now. And so who knows what they're going to do. Okay, that's one of them. Uh Really quickly, the other ones that they could take up. Remember, there was a a guy named Joe Kennedy, a football coach in Washington State, who prayed on the field after games. And he's like, he's on the clock for the school. The school said, look, you're going to get us in trouble. You can't do this. They basically didn't renew his contract as an assistant football coach. He sued the district. His lawyers are basically asking the Supreme Court to step in and say that was religious discrimination, even though it's totally not religious discrimination. And if the Supreme Court takes up that case, and depending on how they rule on that, you could see more overt religious displays by public school employees and coaches. Yeah, that's definitely the problem with Um, the uh, the country (laughs) right now is we don't have enough overt religious displays. Yeah, and uh, one other big one for church-state separation. This is a thing that's happening In uh, Morris County, I can't remember if, yeah, New Jersey, Uh, this is a case where this county in New Jersey gave millions of dollars in, quote, historic preservation grants to buildings in the county, Mm -hmm. and a a dozen churches got money, millions of dollars, in order to renovate the buildings, and basically FFRF filed a lawsuit saying that's illegal because... These are still active churches. These right. are not old buildings that right. need restoration. People worship there now, and by giving them money to take care of the roof, for mm-hmm. example, you're freeing up money that goes toward worship. The New Jersey Supreme Court unanimously said FFRF is right. Good. And they said, look, you can keep the money you got from them, but from now on, you can't give away this money, mm-hmm. um, not to an active church, because these are this is religious use. And the conservatives representing the churches, um, they want the Supreme Court to take up the case to see what constitutes religious use. Hmm. Because the roof isn't with worship, per se. And so, I don't know. This is an extension of that case uh, in Missouri that we talked about with the tires and the playground, where, like, you can get a grant as long as you're not going directly to worship. Right. So taxpayer money can be used for churches as long as it's not directly to promote religion. This is kind of an extension of that, because what qualifies as a religious use? So Mm -hmm. all of these are in front of the Supreme Court. More likely than not, if they just do what they always do, there's no controversy in any of these cases. They should say, we're just not going to listen to it. The previous ruling stands. Mm -hmm. That's good news all around in these cases. Right. But with five conservative justices, they could easily say, we're going to dig it up because there's an issue we need to resolve (laughs) and then resolve it the wrong way. So that's now that's we're going to find out Tuesday what's going to happen with some of these cases. And Kavanaugh is on the court now. So he gets a say in all of these. Um, So we'll see. (laughs) Here is a a story about voter enthusiasm heading into the midterms. Oh, I have one too. Here's one. Here's the facts of the matter. Over the past decade, we've seen the number of non-religious Americans, the percentage of non-religious Americans, it's skyrocketed. Uh It's great. Like a quarter of the country is non-religious. They're not all atheist agnostics, but they're non-religious. They don't belong to any organized religious group. Right. Um, But while that number has shot up over the past 10 years, the percentage of voters who are nuns has not gone up. So this so is a problem. Just leveled, right? It hasn't yeah. gone down necessarily. So like in 2000, going back like 20 years, 14% of the population non-religious, uh-huh. 9% of us are voters. Then you cut to 2014, something like that, 22% of the population is non-religious, 12% are voters. It's like 
one of these things is growing faster than the other. It's almost like candidates <laughs> don't necessarily represent those of us who don't believe in yeah, God. Yeah, we're underrepresented. You know who's overrepresented? Christians, <laughs> yeah. whites, men's. Yeah. And 2016, you which had all the buildup that it did, 25% of us are non-religious Americans. Mm-hmm. Only 15% voted. So this how is. Does, do you know how that compares to like a Christian demographic? Uh, off the top of my head, no, I okay. don't have it in front of me. But they were overrepresented relative to the American population. I know most people, like a lot of people, don't vote. Right. But even if you're saying like sixty to seventy percent of the population votes, uh-huh. we're talking like a lower relative group of us. Sure. Compared to Christians, who more than they pull their weight. Now here's the thing. <sighs> The Atlantic did a survey where they were like, uh, and PRRI, another polling group, they did a survey to think about voter enthusiasm heading into the midterms. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that religiously unaffiliated voters, not atheists, but everyone who's non-religious, they seem most excited about doing the things that involve elections. Hell yeah. Friendly atheist listeners. Oh yeah. They are excited about supporting or donating to causes or candidates, going to rallies, Uh expressing their opinions online. Yes. That's great. That's enthusiasm. And we have it more than, say, white evangelicals who who like Trump because he does stuff for them, but really don't like Trump. Trump, They just tolerate him. Wow. They're not as happy to vote, which, can you believe it? Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, the Atlantic said, of all the groups they looked at, divided by race, education, uh, area, and everything, secular Democrats were more likely to say they're feeling rage uh, in a good way. That's motivating them to go to the polls. So the I question is... I can relate to that emotion, actually. The enthusiasm is there. Uh-huh. The question is, what percentage of non-religious Americans will actually vote? Because we historically <sighs> suck at it. So the question is, yeah, we have enthusiasm. There's a lot of good reason to be upset with how the government's working, mm-hmm. not just if you're an atheist, but for a lot of liberals. Um, so what will that translate into votes? And by the way, I should point out, Two-thirds of atheists and agnostics specifically voted for Hillary Clinton. That's a lot of people who didn't in 2016. Uh-huh. But if more non-religious people vote, period, that's good for Democrats as a whole. Mm-hmm. So it, it's worth, like, there's excitement there right now. If you're a Democrat, if you're a liberal, it doesn't matter where you live. Right. People want to get out there and do something. I don't know what that means on Election Day, but it's worth, it, it'll be a good storyline if we can pull our shit together. Because that also means in the future... Candidates will have to talk yeah, to us about our issues. We're by, a vote worth courting. By which I mean like church-state separation and, and science education and things like that, which mm-hmm. get no play these days, it seems. Right. Um, speaking of, of um, the electorate, I don't know why I just found this story really, really delightful. Just like, like toe-to-tip, it's great. So um, Taylor Swift, who is... I'm sure most people know who Taylor Swift is, but she's a um, musician, uh-huh. songwriter. She's 28 years old. Okay. Have you, can you heard of a song? Shake it off. Look at me. Oh my Look God, at me. you did it. Look at me. <laughs> I didn't even give him a hit. A hint. Anyway, um, so she famously has been, I say famously to me, famously has not gotten involved in politics, hasn't weighed in actually has sort of been suspected as kind of being like, she's sort of was like an alt-right sort of <laughs> icon, but we didn't know if she was in Because she's on like that. the pure white singer right, she, who's yes. from Tennessee, Tennessee right? Yeah. So like conservative, you would think. Right. Um, 
So, for whatever reason, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but in the last week or so, she uh, she's still uh, registered in Tennessee, and she came out in support of uh, Phil Bresden uh-huh. and um, Democratic Representative Jim Cooper, who's seeking re-election. So this is... Um, so those are your Senate candidates, yeah. the Senate candidate and her local rep for yeah, the U.S. House. which I think is very cool. It's not like, you know, Eleanor Miranda coming out for Hillary Clinton. Like, that's all very, like... Yeah, we get that, of course. <laughs> it's her getting involved in more local politics, which I think is great. So she's not just getting involved. She's she's not just saying get out the vote. Right. She's which advocating. Which is the safe she's thing to do. She's saying vote for these way. people who are who are liberals and right. progressives. And she also encouraged her fan her, she also encouraged her fans to register to vote no matter sure. what state they live in. Um, she wrote, please, please educate yourself on candidates running in your state and vote, sp- vote based on who most closely represents your value, her values, which I think is a very nice message and not partisan. Apparently, according to the New York Times, uh, vote, vote.org recorded a flood of requests both nationwide and in Tennessee. Because so, she's specifically linked to that group. Yep. So more, or that website. Website. Mm-hmm. So more than 166,000 people across the United States submitted new registrations on vote.org between Sunday noon and Tuesday. Um, and about 42% of those registrants are between 18 and 24, which Good, is Which is the group that's the wild. least likely to yes. vote. So it, It's a hugely important. underrepresented group. Now, here's like the like the chef's kiss moment of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it gets better. Mike Huckabee, who I, I'm going to be honest, I forgot he's still a person. Um, he tweeted, so, twi- so, which that's how I... <laughs> That's how I start my tweets, and I'm not a governor. So Taylor <laughs> Swift has every right to be political, but it won't impact election. It, okay, I'm going to read this word for word. It's very important. So twi- Taylor Swift it it's, it's has every right to be political, sense. but it won't impact election unless we allow 13-year-old girls to vote. Still with Marsha Blackburn. Um, so which, only 13-year-olds are Taylor Swift fans in his mind. Uh-huh. And so there's so. a. F- I'm going to just name a few things that are a problem with that. Yeah. One... Like, maybe we don't need to, like, shit on young girls who want to be politically active. I don't know. Maybe that's a nice thing to do. Maybe engage the youth. Two, her first album came out in 2006. It is 2018. So even if (laughs) her original fans were all 13, they are now 25 years old. And not to mention, like, adults like Taylor Swift. Like, I have friends who are real live grown-ups who... (laughs) Anyway, it's and just like such you said, the people who went to vote.org and registered to vote are 18. Right. And there's a hell of a lot of them who signed up that day. But anyway, it's just such a, like, Huckabee is such a condescending ass face. But, like, to sort of shit all over, the, a very, and yes, she came out for liberals and Democratic candidates, but in a very, as nonpartisan way as possible of register to vote, get educated, vote your conscience, yada, yada, yada. And, like, just his sort of sneering distaste of, like, young people is so evident in this. And it's so it's so ironic considering how they always talk about how liberals talk down to the middle class or flyover states. And they're like, oh, we're important, too. But this guy jumps <laughs> at the first fucking opportunity to be like, oh, little girls. Okay, ooh. just to be clear, Mike Huckabee's point of reference for a cool singer is Ted Nugent. So <laughs> he's not really the guy to go to for advice on who's cool and hip. Uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of a pleasant little story. <laughs> that, that has a happy ending so yeah. far, if it translates into something. Listen, it's a start. <laughs> it's a it's, start. It's not nothing. Uh, so the Mormon church has had a hard time lately. 
Uh, re- I know, rebranding, rebranding is hard. Sorry. Yes, they can't. They're not Mormons now. They're whatever they want to be called, which whatever. But which I respect just their be, right to be called whatever they want to be called. That's totally fine for shorthand. But rebranding I'm still is hard, and we saw what happened with um, the IHOB. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mormon Church specifically, they had a woman who said she was raped by a leader of her missionary training center in 1984. She told church leaders and only found out relatively recently. They did nothing with her complaints. What? I'm shocked. Um, and so that, that's one case that's been in the news this year alone, that the church hasn't been acting on issues of sexual assault by their own leaders. There's a dog here with Sorry, a Sorry, she's toy. got a new squeaky chipmunk. and she... I, She's mad at the Mormon church, yeah, too. Yeah, she is. Good girl, daddy. Be, beyond that story, the church just excommunicated a guy, Sam Young, because he was calling... He's a former bishop. He was calling into question the church's quote-unquote masturbation interviews where they interview kids about their sex lives without their parents present and ask them these super intrusive questions. It's not okay. And by the way, remember, I think we talked about this. Recently, there was a Mormon woman who was denied a temple recommend like this this merit badge that you need in the church of Uh sorts because she was breastfeeding during a service. What? All of these things are not good for women, period. And uh, if you're a Mormon woman, woman, this stuff should bother you tremendously. So this past weekend, the newer president of the the Mormon church, Russell Nelson, he was speaking at um, the general conference over last weekend. Uh Uh-huh. And he spoke specifically at a women's only meeting that was part of that conference. Not women's only. Women's only, but with him. (laughs) And what he told them is that, I'm going to quote this, I invite you to participate in a 10-day fast from social media and from any other media that bring negative and impure thoughts to your mind. Basically saying, get off of social media because it's bad for you. Which, if that's kind of the gist of what he was saying, then... I don't think that's a bad thing to say. We could all use a social media diet every now and then these days. Sure. But he didn't say it to everybody. He said just it to women. women. And he and to be clear, not just women. He's he's saying this to women at a time when they have a lot of reasons to be pissed off at the church. Right. And they're expressing those feelings on social media. He's telling them to shut up for 10 days right before a big election. Oh my god. And just to be clear, Mitt Romney's running for the Senate, and there's no way in hell he's telling Mitt Romney, don't be on social media for 10 days, weeks before your election. Like, I know the timing, he would argue, is probably coincidental, but it's not coincidental, you guys. Holy shit. So, (laughs) one woman, actually, a Salt Lake County Council candidate, who is a practicing devout Mormon, surprise, surprise, her name is Michelle Quist, she said to a local reporter, like, what am I, I panicked, what am I going to do? Social media is such a big part of campaigns, especially local campaigns for candidates who don't have a lot of money, Mm -hmm. so obviously I want to follow my church leader's direction or request, but I don't want to hurt my campaign, which is, I'm sure, kind of the point. Right. She, so wait, her workaround is she won't post stuff on social media. She'll try to do more door-to-door stuff, whatever. But it's it's not the same. Wait, and so what is he trying... What are his ultimate goals to... His, I'm sure if you asked him, his ultimate goals is social media. And I'm not asking media. him, I'm asking Hammond. Yeah. What are his ultimate goals? If like, I'm do you think? not giving him the benefit of the doubt, Correct. it's a bad time for the Mormon church to hear criticism from women because it's not good. Uh-huh. There's a lot of things people are saying about the church that makes it look really bad for women, uh-huh. which uh, we've said the same thing about the Catholic Church is right. bad for women. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is bad for women, especially. 
And so one way to blunt that criticism is by speaking, saying, God spoke to me and he told you to do this and telling them to shut up. But you can't just tell them to shut up. You got to give a better excuse than that. Mm. This would be a really good way to do it. Um, And by the way, I should point out, he did say something similar to children earlier this year at a special children's thing. So it's not like this is brand new just for women, but it is worth noting that he hasn't said this to adult men. Uh He hasn't told them to get off social media. It's just the women who need to hear this. So the last thing Mormon women need to hear is you need to be silent right now. Yeah. Um, I would argue this is a time no women should be silent uh, ever. One woman, a Mormon woman who writes a lot of articles for Religion News Service. I respect her a lot. She actually said, because she is devout, she wants to obey this thing from the Mormon president. She's saying, I will have a social media fast, but I'm going to do it like in December. Yeah. uh, Not before the election. On my schedule. On my schedule. So anyway. Just worth mentioning. <laughs> I got I got another little weirdness that has to do with politics, and it's from Quebec. Oh, they just had elections last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna butcher the name, so whatever. The guy's name is Francois Legault. Uh, I'm sure I'm wrong. Don't worry, at Jessica. Um, yeah, at they Jessica had their elections. Again. This guy won, and he, one of the things he said is he wants religious neutrality. He wants church-state separation. He's played that hand. Yeah, and we it sounds sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like a good thing. But here's how he's going about doing that. There's two specific things he actually wants to implement in the name of religious neutrality uh-huh. that is totally like a con- something you would expect Mike Huckabee to say instead. Uh-huh. One thing is he wants all like leaders in the government, like uh, government officials, but by which he includes cops and teachers because they're leaders in their own right. Okay. He wants them to stop wearing religious symbols that are very clearly religious symbols. So I don't think he's really referring to like cross necklaces you could hide in your shirt or something, but he's talking about, wait for it, hijabs. Hijabs. He's talking about yarmulkes. He's talking about turbans, things that don't affect Christians because they don't have any visible clothing they got to wear, but it affects minority religions. And he's like, you can't wear that if you're working on the government payroll. So that's just getting right into religious intolerance right there. Because they're not hurting anybody with their headgear. So that's one thing. And then someone mentioned, like, well, in the National Assembly, where they have, it's like their their state capital, um, there's a giant crucifix. Kind of like if you ever see the U.S. State of the Union, where the president Uh speaks and the speaker's right behind him. Uh Like, there's a little wall right behind him. Uh There's a giant crucifix hanging in the National Assembly in Quebec. Really? And they're like, well, what about that? That's got to go too, right? Because isn't that a religious symbol in the public eye? Uh-huh. And he's like, uh, no, <gasps> that Stop. one can stay because it's a historical symbol, not a religious one. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> he said it invokes the role of French Catholics and British Protestants in Quebec's history. We have to recognize that and not mix that with religious signs. Are you f- Fucking kidding me. <laughs> so it, it went up in 1936. There was actually a government report that suggested uh, in 2008, you should take this down, but no one did it. And now this guy's making the case that, oh, it's a Christian cross. No, it's not really Christian. It's just a symbol of our history, How which is, again, this is, what, this is what conservative Christians say, not a guy who's, you know, ostensibly arguing for religious neutrality. So have fun with that guy. Friends up north. 
Um, we actually got listener mail about exactly that, so sorry. Uh, I think it was Beth. Uh-huh. Oh, Emily. I don't know. Yes. Um, sorry, Emily. Haven't stamped all over your toes. Sorry. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's cool, I guess. Uh, Kevin Kramer. Yes. He is... North Dakota guy. Yeah, from North Dakota. Running he's for Senate running against for Heidi Heitkamp. Correct. And he's beating her right now by a lot. Yeah, Heidi Heitkamp isn't doing super great right now, which is too bad. I think we should continue to support her. I... I have my fingers and toes crossed for her. Um, but he had some really cool things to say about the Me Too movement. Oh, good. I can't wait. Uh, he said, quote, that you're just supposed to believe somebody because they said it happened, alluding to Christine Blasley For- Blasey Ford, blah, 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 blah. Um, invoking his... So he's basically saying, like, the same garbage everyone else is saying. Like, you can't just say something and not... And you can't believe people. all women. Right. Uh, invoking his wife, daughters, and mother-in-law, Mr. Kramer said, they cannot understand this movement towards victimization. They were pioneers of the prairie. These are tough people whose grandparents were tough and great-grandparents were tough. So I just want to go ahead and clear up what a victim is. Um, (laughs) A victim, to be a victim does not mean you are not tough. You can be the toughest motherfucker in the world if somebody shoots you you're a victim of gun violence. So let's kind of do away with this idea that us as women and as victims want people to be held responsible for their actions is us, quote unquote, playing the victim or playing the victim card. That's fucking bullshit. If you, if in any other crime we said this, nobody would accuse anybody of playing the victim. And, and also this idea of if somebody can't see the physical harm on you or if you're not showing up in a wheelchair, then you weren't a victim. Like, it, the results of these sorts of attacks go well beyond physical abuse into mental and emotional, emotional harm. And it's, I'm just really fucking tired of trying to explain why being raped kind of sucks. I don't think that's... I did not know this. Yeah, I'm so glad I'm here to kind of guide you in the right direction. I saw something on a conservative atheist website. Those exist. And they were like, look at all the groupthink among atheist bloggers and YouTubers who say you have to believe Dr. Ford. We get it. You read 1984. Stop saying groupthink. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Saying that believe all women is not skeptical. You should be more skeptical. And just to be clear, no one said let's believe her because she made an allegation. The Democratic side was saying let's investigate it because we take it seriously. That's what I come to when people say, like, believe all women. That to me is shorthand for I'll take your story seriously and I'm going to look into it. So when they've asked this to Ronan Farrell, like, do you just believe these women who came out against Weinstein and Eric Schneiderman? And he's like, no, I, I take their story seriously enough to say... I'm going to talk to everyone that I can about mm-hmm. this to get confirmation of it. I'm going to take it seriously enough to to do the investigation that we need to do. Because if you're right about this, then I'm going to look into this. I'm yeah. going to take it seriously. It doesn't mean, oh, they made an allegation. We should just believe it inherently. <sighs> but I mean, And again, when the stakes are so high, anyone can make the allegation in this case, Democrats were saying, okay, we want to listen to her, but we want to do a thorough investigation, and that's what they couldn't do. Right. That's why it's troubling more than anything. I just want to point that no, out. No, I mean, and it's just sort if of... If a friend says it to you, different story. Like, if, Yeah, I you know think what you're, I mean? you're 100% right. I just... It's, it's kind of exhausting right now 
to keep having the same argument over and over of like, just because somebody said something happened, you automatically believe it. Because for some reason, like we usually believe things that people say. If I come home without my purse and say my purse was stolen, my husband isn't going to be like, well, where did you leave it? And what were you doing with it? Or like, did you, or did you just lose it? Or did you really want to give it away to that person? Like he's going to take me at my word that somebody took my purse off me. Even, even if I don't have any physical evidence that like I'm, I, or I was held up at gunpoint and they made me give him his wallet. I don't have any physical evidence about that, but people are going to believe me because even though it's much less likely to get robbed at gunpoint than somebody is to be sexually assaulted. Because, like, half of women have been sexually assaulted. I think the point I want to make is, if you told me that, I would believe that. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about some high stakes, like, I want this guy fired or right. whatever because he did this to me, then I think it's worth saying, okay, but we're going to talk to... Give us names. Give us whatever you can. Because if but you want not- us to take action on it... We need to know what's going on. That to me is different than, you know, my wife saying that or a girlfriend saying that. Right. But I just, I don't know, this sort of, it's just, I don't like it when people like Kramer and others uh, are so quick to say that the believe all women hashtag or whatever suggests that anyone can make an allegation against any powerful person. Mm -hmm. And that's enough to destroy their lives. Like that completely minimizes what's actually and happening. I'm sorry, whose life is life is getting destroyed? Right, the we woman saw who can't get back Kavanaugh. into her house, or the guy who's on the Supreme Court right now. We saw what happened to Trump. Like, what the fuck are they talking about? These boys' lives are destroyed. Like Jesus, Brock Turner got like a millisecond in jail, and it, it's just it's unbelievable that we think that this is the real thing when you should be worried about like. People saying, oh, I'm worried about my son getting falsely accused. Be worried about your daughter getting sexually assaulted because she's 50-50, a fucking coin flip. She's probably gonna. Let's, let me talk about this story since it's along the same lines. There was a group, uh, a Catholic group called CatholicVote.org. It's a nonprofit. They launched this Moms for Kavanaugh hashtag. Jesus And it fuck. included a video that they posted on their social media I'm going to, it basically has these stories of like, look at these men. They're virtuous and courageous. Look at the firefighter over here or the little boy mowing the lawn, like happy, good, ethical people. And then halfway through the video, you start seeing the words like, if it can happen to him with a picture of Brett Kavanaugh, it can happen to our sons. It can happen to our brothers. It can happen to our fathers. It can happen to our husbands. It can happen to you. Hashtag moms for Kavanaugh. As in... These good people who are doing good things with their lives, all it takes is one false accusation, and, and you're all And they end up on the Supreme Court. And they end up on the Supreme Court. No, fuck that noise. Yeah. Absolutely fuck that noise. Worry about your fucking daughters, and worry about teaching your sons what consent is, and that like maybe you shouldn't get drunk and pretend and try to rape somebody. Yeah. I feel like that's a really good life lesson for anybody at any age. I just want to point out, that video did not come out when Al Franken was accused of anything. They did it now. And again, I don't have to go into the false claims are incredibly low. The rates of false accusations are low or whatever. One thing I did find weird is every single website and every single tweet that had spread this message, whether to criticize it or praise the the ad, the website has removed every instance of this ad. Really? Yeah. And I don't know why. And I was trying to figure this out. They are saying like... 
someone tweeted it out, in, critical, but now the tweet says video not displayed. It's been removed in response to a copyright thing. But, like, the original isn't anywhere either. They've tried to remove this ad, but they haven't apologized for it. They haven't explained why they're taking it down. There are copies saved, I should point that out, but this video they're trying to, like, not mention. It's nowhere on their social media anymore. It's the weirdest thing. So I don't know what's up with that, but I just want to bring that up. Maybe somebody with a brain saw it and was like, hey, guys. Um, There is one other really big story that happened this week, and I don't want to let this one go. In remember, there was this cake, uh, a cake. It was a Supreme Court case involving Masterpiece Cake Shop. This was the oh, one yeah, where yeah. the guy refused to make a cake for a gay customer who said it would be for his wedding. Mm-hmm. All the gay, as far as we know, the gay customer basically said, I want a wedding cake and was perfectly happy to buy the same cake the guy would have easily sold to a straight couple. Uh-huh. They never got around to that point because uh, Jack Phillips said, I'm just, you're a gay guy. I don't support gay people because I'm Christian, so I'm not doing it for you. And the Supreme Court ruled seven to two that the way the process went in Colorado was unfair to Jack Phillips. So they ruled in his favor on the technicality, not on the merits. Mm-hmm. So very narrow ruling it was seven to two but it was a very narrow ruling that didn't apply anywhere else so we the the ball's still up in the air in terms of is that religious discrimination or anti-gay discrimination or whatever in the uk this week there was a similar case and i use that word loosely this one involved amy and daniel macarthur they are the evangelical owners of asher's baking company asher's being a religious reference to something but basically uh, a couple of years ago a customer said, I work for a nonprofit group that supports LGBTQ rights, and he wanted a cake that kind of had Bert and Ernie on it, and it said support gay marriage. <laughs> now, Sesame Street would be pissed off about that because they say Bert and Ernie do not have a sexual orientation. Right. They are puppets. Yep. But the point is this guy wanted a message, support gay marriage. And the MacArthur's said, we're not making that cake because that message goes against our religious beliefs. The British Supreme Court, the UK Supreme Court, rather, ruled 5-0 unanimously that the couple was right. They had the right to do that. To refuse to... To refuse to make that cake. And I've heard many people saying, look, the the UK version of the cake shop case, he wanted over here, albeit on a technicality, Mm -hmm. and they wanted over there on the merits and stuff like that. But let's just be clear about this. The couple in the UK did not agree with the message, and they said this violates our religious beliefs, so we don't want to make it, and the court said they have the right to do that. Okay. That is not the same thing, because in the Colorado case, they didn't say put a message on here, right. and the guy refused Just to do it. Just sell me a cake. Uh, and the, the UK judges actually said very clearly, he wouldn't, this, the MacArthur's would not have made this cake for anybody. Mm-hmm. It's not that they were discriminating against a gay guy. They were discriminating. They said, we just don't want to make this cake for anybody, whether you're straight or gay or whatever. Right. That's different. Mm-hmm. And we would have totally condemned it if you had discriminated against it for being gay. Uh-huh. That's not what happened here, according to them. That's why they, the court ruled in their favor. Now, there's a downside to that also because... What happens if someone wants now in the UK, what if they want to create a, a cake with a Bible verse on it? 
That is an innocuous Bible verse. Mm -hmm. Are we allowed to say no? Are bakers allowed to say no to that? What if it's a bar mitzvah cake? Yeah. What if it's a cake that's, uh, this is from the BBC. It poses the question of what about a cake promoting the glory of Brexit or support for hunting or support veganism? Uh Like how far does this go where your, your conscience can reject a message just because you don't like it? Hmm. Because if you let that go all the way, I mean, they can kind of say no to a lot of things. And that, that is a weird thing because not all these things are religious in nature. They're not all, I I don't know. It's, it's a weird slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And so evangelicals are celebrating the victory, but what's going to happen when a secular baker says, I'm not making your verse that says happy birthday, John 316. Are they going to call that discrimination or are they going to accept that the baker has a right to do that? So important case, I don't know where it goes from there because it's such a broad ruling that allows all these things to happen. It's totally different from the U.S. case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious even beyond the messages. What if someone comes in and says, you know, I'm gay. I'm making a birthday cake for my partner. I just wanted to say happy birthday. But can you put like a winky face right after right. it? Does that count or does that not count? I don't know what the line is now. And I don't think they do either. So it... <laughs> It's an interesting, I don't know how that shapes out, but it, it's a weird argument. And it's all because these people just really don't like gay people. I mean, so well, interesting. spend your time and energy. Yeah. Uh, I had one more that I wanted to mention that was disturbing, thankfully, without many consequences. Okay. Um, there was a middle school in Virginia. They had a shooting lockdown drill. Um, unfortunately, this is something schools have to do now, yeah. but it's the, the, it's like a fire drill, but in case there's a school shooting, what do you have to do? Everyone needs to know where to go, mm-hmm. whatever. And in the case of the school, one of the things that some kids had to do is go inside the locker rooms in gym, uh, by the gym. Mm-hmm. But there was a transgender student there and the teachers, the PE teachers ended up telling that trans student, don't go in the locker room yet. Because they didn't know what to do with the trans student. Does does she go in this one or does she go in that one? And they're sitting here debating it. The student isn't in a shelter at this point. My God. Thank goodness it was a drill. But the thing is, like, first of all, this was a drill. It wasn't even, they weren't changing clothes. Jesus. Just stick her in any one of them. It doesn't even matter, first of all. But the fact that this student, had it been an actual shooting incident, that they would have been sitting around wondering any of this is troubling. And one of the things, Equality Stafford, Stafford, Virginia is where this happened. Equality Stafford is the group that brought this to light. And one thing they made clear is like, don't bother the teachers about this who are debating. This isn't their fault. The fault is the the districts for not having a policy to deal with this. Right. Like they should have just, maybe the policy is, let the trans student figure out which one is the right one for them to go to and right. let them do it. Right. Um, so blame them. And the, the administration in the district says this was troubling to all of us mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out a policy to deal with this. We're sorry it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't commented beyond that, really. The new superintendent has requested a review of all protocols and procedures to ensure that all children are treated with dignity and respect. I mean, the correct answer is, look, we screwed up and we'll take care of it to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, But it's troubling that this was even an issue. And again, just thank goodness it was a drill and not the real thing. But anyway, 
Um, oh, I've got one last please. thing that's sort of, I mean, it's, it's a negative story, but it's kind of coming around to a happier ending. Um, so do you know who Matthew Shepard is? Uh, gay guy, victim of a hate crime. Correct. So in 1998, Matthew Shepard um, was murdered uh, by two men in a bar. They pistol whipped him and then tied him to um, a fence. Excuse me. Um, and left him there to die in freezing temperature. Uh, uh, ultimately, a uh, bicyclist found him and brought him to didn't the hospital. Did they like drag his body somewhere too? Yeah, like, um, I didn't write down all the details. Okay. I haven't seen the play. Pretty gruesome death. It was. It was. Horrible. It really kind of rocked the not only their community but sort of the, the country at that time. There's a, a a play called the Laramie Project, which. This is how I know most yeah, of this. Yeah, that's all uh, about this. Yeah, I don't think my school did it or we read it, but I've seen the movie. <clears throat> anyway, so um, so he was born in 1998. Uh, he did. He ended up passing away in the hospital. So he, he died did, in 1998. He, yes. Yeah. Um, and the funeral that was held for him was something of a circus. So a lot of protesters came. It, I believe. The Westboro, Westboro Baptist Church or a Westboro Baptist Church type of group mm-hmm. came out a lot of like God hate fag kind of yeah uh, kind of things um, and because of that Matthew and um, I'm sorry I didn't give detailed uh, details Matthew Shepard was 20 I believe 21 shit I have it in here somewhere uh, when it happened um, and so in the 20 years since he's died they've never buried him. They never found a resting place because they were afraid that his, like wherever they buried him would face desecration. Yeah. So, um, at the end of this month, on October 26th, he's going to be interred at the Washington National Cathedral, oh. which I think is a really um, kind of special. They don't do that step. for everyone. No. Um, the there's 200 others, um, including President Woodrow Wilson, Helen Keller, and Ann Sullivan. Um, so Dennis Shepard, who's Matthew's father, said, um, I think it's a perfect, appropriate place. We are, as a family, happy and relieved that we now have a final home for Matthew, a place that he himself would love. Um, the Bishop of, uh, I'm sorry, this is Marion Edgar Budd, the Bishop of the uh, Episcopal, Episcopal, thank yeah. you, Episcopal Diocese of Washington, said his death was a wound on our nation. We're doing our best to, we're doing our part to bring light out of that darkness and healing to those who have so often been hurt and sometimes hurt in the name of the church. Um, and also this sort of cool thing about this is obviously his friends and family will be able to visit him there, but it's going to be a public place that other people can come and, and, um, and visit him. Um, Maybe his family can find peace. Yes. Uh, Dennis Shepard said, um, it's a place, it's a place where there's an actual chance for others to sit and reflect about Matthew, about themselves and about their friends. Um, Ja- uh, Jason Marsden, who was a friend of Matthew's and now is the executive director of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, said, uh, quote, it's a noteworthy place to rest and it invites conversations about the importance of this person and and what this person represents in American history. A lot has changed in the 20 years since Matthew was abducted, tied to a fence, and left to die. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Bishop Bud that said that. A lot has changed, but not everything has changed. It felt really important for us to say we love LGBTQ people who are beloved children of God, not in spite of their identities, but because of who they are and who God created them to be. Um, so anyway, that kind of made me... Look something almost decent yeah. after a horrific tragedy. And I feel like this is a good use for a national church type thing. Yeah. 
Whereas, you know, normally I wouldn't say, I would say like, well, maybe we shouldn't have a church that's like our national church. But I think to honor somebody in this way at least represents that they are trying to do the right thing with, with the symbols that they have. So um, that, that made me um, bittersweet. But, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so we have listener mail, but Hammond just stomped all over that. Sorry, Sorry again, Emily. Um, I just actually want to le- read a little bit what Emily said just to get her, her words in. Um, she said she agrees that separation of church and state and understands how wearing of these religious symbols might be seen as state endorsement of religion. Uh, public employees represent the state. However, as a left-leaning immigrant woman, I can see how this is used for discrimination against people like Muslim women who wear hijabs. I've seen a lot of people on Facebook use this policy to be xenophobic and say things like, quote, immigrants come to our country, have to do it our way, which definitely has some discriminatory undertones. Um, I look forward to hearing you. I would say undertones is generous. I would say they're pretty regular tones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had one and more. I think oh. she wanted to know uh, something about what, is acceptable or not when it comes to religious symbols, right? Because um, uh, it's even if she didn't ask, it's worth talking she, about. She, I'm, I'm quite torn on the issue of whether um, uh, public, fi- not public figures, but public representatives can uh, wear their kind of personal symbols. I'm quite torn on this issue, she says, and wanted to hear your opinions about such policies. Sure. I, I have no problem with people wearing the religious things yeah. that they feel like they need to wear in the sense that like a Muslim woman wearing a hijab, if she wants to wear it, mm-hmm. let her wear it. I don't care if she's a teacher or something because there's a difference between I'm wearing this because this is my belief. Mm-hmm. So if you want to wear the Jewish head covering or a, a Sikh who wants to wear a right. turban, that doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me. It's not promotion of religion. Even if there's a Christian who wants to wear like a cross necklace or something, but it's it's not like, uh, it's just a private thing. It yeah. You wouldn't even notice if no one had called attention to it or something like that. That's not a big deal to me. The difference is uh, someone who, let's say, a Christian teacher who has a Bible on a desk mm-hmm. who clearly wants to use it in the classroom, not like in their office personally, but because it's a they're trying to proselytize in right. subtle ways in their minds or something like that. Yeah. That to me is the difference. If you're wearing something because this is meaningful to you and it's it shouldn't be any reason that anyone else should be like trying to take it away from you. Right. That doesn't I don't want to tell you what to wear, just like I don't want to tell you what not to wear or something like that. Right. And I think the hypocrisy is pretty blatant here that no like they are saying nobody's saying that if you're wearing a cross, you're going to not treat everybody fairly or in some mm-hmm. way not represent everybody. But if you're wearing a yarmulke or a hijab, then there is there is an implication in place if they're saying you can't wear that. There's an implication saying that you're no longer representing everybody because mm-hmm. you're outwardly professing your religion. Or you're, this is something a lot of be discriminatory. conservatives have said about people like Keith Ellison, who's openly Muslim mm. and one of the, the Democratic leaders, basically saying, oh, he's openly Muslim. That must mean X, Y and Z. It's like, well, every other politician's like openly Christian and you right. don't say the same stuff about them. Right. And his actions show he's not just in this for Muslims. And by the way, there's, I think, another a Muslim who's going to take his seat in November, like seems like that. And the point is. It doesn't matter. Right. Elect them because they're going to represent all of you in a good way. It, it Honestly, it doesn't bother me if they're wearing it. I may have my own religious qualms about things like a hijab. Sure. 
Um, and we could debate that, but that's not the debate this is about, mm-hmm. which is do they have the right to wear it if they're acting on the government payroll? Yes, yeah. they do. Because who the hell cares? It's not a big deal. Right. Exactly. They're not saying I'm wearing this because I want you to wear it secretly. So let it go. That's why this, this thing the guy in Quebec is doing where like no government people can wear any outward expression mm-hmm. of their faith. That is more oppressive to me than whatever problem he thinks he's trying to solve yeah. by letting them wear it. For sure. Um, and I have one more um, election update. This is from Ben. Hi, Hammond and Jessica. You've been talking in the podcast about canvassing and encouraging people to share what they're doing to help with the election. Being particularly anxious, I've been looking for more comfortable ways to participate. I've recently started using a website called Vote Forward, uh, V-O-T-E-F-W-D dot org, mm-hmm. whose goal is to flip the house by encouraging unlikely voters in competitive districts across the country to vote by sending them, sending them a letter. I really like the idea, and I thought you might want to share it on the podcast. We do. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for all you do, and take care. Thank you, Ben. That's yeah. really great. I'm actually going canvassing again tomorrow as we record this, so um, that would be October 13th. I'm actually uh, uh, canvassing for Lauren Underwood this time, oh, who's good. a little bit... And by the way, the I think the Cook Political Report or something, they said Sean Caston, who's uh, the Democrat against mm-hmm. Peter Roskam in mm-hmm. our area... He's in a lean Democrat now. Oh, that, is he? Oh, that, I heard that, it was a toss-up now. It was. Now oh. they moved it. And in Lauren Underwood's case, it was, I think, lean Republican. Now it's a toss-up. So the two competitive districts in our neck of the woods yeah. are both, one of them's a toss-up, the other one's lean Democrat. But again, don't rely on that for anything. It doesn't matter unless you actually get out to do something. Right. By the way, on a side note, not a side note, there was an atheist vlogger on YouTube who said recently why he doesn't vote. Cool guy. Wow. And kind of made this argument that like, well, progressives don't represent me for the following reasons because they're not perfect on all the issues he wants. Like how nice it must be to not have to worry about how conservatives are going to affect you by you not voting. Hey, dude, did like, you hear all the things I know about it's trying cliche. to criminalize abortion I know this? it's cliche. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. There are two sides here. They're not both equally evil. They're not both like two sides of the same coin. Nice for that guy. Vote and vote for Democrats. And I will have this argument with people because I do it every time there's an election and I get dinged for it every time, which is to say, if you're an atheist and you care about church state separation or science education or women's rights or LGBTQ rights, there is only one party to vote for right Right. now. I'm sure there are perfectly fine arguments for like a conservative tax policy. That's not what's at stake right now. So I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me for an atheist who actually cares about that as a part of their identity to vote Republican. But again, this idea that I'm not voting, even though I would vote for Democrats, because I don't love the Democrats, because they don't do enough. Yeah, they don't do enough for me either, but I'm not crazy, and I care about other people, and they're affected by this. So, ugh. That pissed me off to watch because that person has yeah. a lot of subscribers. Yeah, cool, dude. Like, maybe encourage people to vote because even though you're not going to be affected, like, some of us have our literal bodies on the line. So it kind of means a lot. So that's cool that you have a place of privilege that you can feel really good about not doing a quote unquote protest vote. But, like, nah, no, miss me with that. <sighs> um, any happy things, my buddy? Um, I did see my sister last week. That oh, was yeah. nice. She's doing good. She's good. Cool. We hung out. That was fun. Now she's back home, far, cool. far away. <laughs> Why do you sound happier about that but second part? She gets to vote for Kirsten Cinema for oh, senators, so that's great. Everyone cool. moved to Arizona. Yay. <laughs> um, well, cool. I'm going canvassing tomorrow with uh, again with my friend Anne, so if anybody's around and wants to... Well, I think we'll be in Naperville, actually. Excellent. Make it happen, people. Yeah. Okay. See you next week. Bye.